Dave Andron describes crack cocaine in 1980s Los Angeles as a bomb that hit the city. But while LA was ground zero of the epidemic, it was the center of a web that connects Mexico, Nicaragua, and the CIA. That's the story of Snowfall, a drama on the FX network. The show follows a Mexican-American crime family, a CIA officer, and a young drug dealer named Franklin Saint. Buy this key. And I will bring you another one tomorrow and another one the day after that if you want. I get a little cash for my troubles. You get to have the purest coat there is. We both win. The show is set in 1983, but Andron, the showrunner of Snowfall, says that there are parallels between then and now. The war on crack became a war on black people, and it was handled, I think, pretty horribly. And so in that regard, we're still dealing with it. This is Showrunners. I'm Nicholas Carlson, the editor-in-chief of Insider. A showrunner does lots of things, from directing to writing to making sure the right kind of paper cups are on set. The showrunner ultimately controls every facet of a TV show, which is why we created Showrunners, the podcast that talks to the people making the shows we love. On this episode of Showrunners, we talk with Dave Andron about how Snowfall relates to race relations in the U.S. today, and we took a look at a few key scenes from the beginning of the first season. I'm sure there's something we can offer you here that uh, will ensure that you leave here feeling taken care of. I'm afraid there ain't. No? Hmm. Oh, you bought that money, huh? All right, then. Get him his money. Uh, there's a scene where Franklin, we were talking about him before. Yep. You know, he starts to get into the cocaine selling business. He's got some momentum. It's going well. And then he leaves a nightclub where he just left a bunch of big packages. This should seem like jokes to you who you with. I ain't with nobody. I'm with me. Ass whoop. All his stuff taken and money's gone. And he bought this cool motorcycle he doesn't have anymore. Yes. He's in trouble. He needs to get that money back because right. he owes it to people. That's right. The keys that he's selling at that point have been fronted to him by this yeah. Israeli gangster. And now he doesn't have the drugs because he just sold it and he doesn't have his money. Yeah. And what a character that Israeli gangster is. Like, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> he's obvious a good time. Yeah. That's right. And uh, anyway, so, so Franklin like sets about getting his money back. He needs the money back. Yes. And the guy who stole it, he goes to his pal and says, oh, I know a tough guy who can help us get it back. Right. These are kids. Yeah. And it was really important to me that you see them as kids. Yeah. And especially Franklin. Like, Leon, the buddy he goes to, had spent some time in juvie, like, knows those yeah. folks. But, like, Franklin doesn't. He's not a gangster. Like, right. he's a 20-year-old kid who's always been able to talk himself into or out of whatever situation he found himself in. And now he can't talk himself in or out of these things. So they, they enlist a tough guy. Yes. Who goes way overboard when in trying to extract the money. Yep. And I was watching this scene being yes. like this is like a flip moment for Franklin like basically right. the tough guy they enlist finds the guy who beat up Franklin and took his money right you wanna end up dead man huh yeah after me huh? over what a few bills that you jacked off of me and oh, is torturing him yes and then rapes him so the tough guy rapes the guy who stole Franklin's yes, money yes. and they find out tell me about writing that scene and how it got there and how you write Franklin there and what does that mean for him at that moment through this first season, we really wanted to obviously track Franklin with a kid who gets into this thinking, oh, I can do this without incurring serious damage and violence and pretty quickly putting him in a situation where he's realizing, oh shit, I'm <laughs> yeah. not going to be able to like, talk myself in or out of these situations and how far am I willing to go? And we were really looking for something to start to make him understand how 
deep and bad and ugly this could get right from the jump. And Franklin is forced to deal with the ramifications of that throughout the entire first season. Yeah. Does he create this monster? Yeah. And how does Franklin have to deal with that monster? And so if we were going to go there, that was kind of my edict was yeah. then we got to really make this a thing and earn it. So in that moment, Franklin's kind of like realizing how deep it is. Yes. Uh, how, yeah. That, oh my God. Yeah. Because <laughs> I remember at one point in the show, he's like, I don't need a gun. I don't need this. Yeah. That's the end of the pot. Yeah. Aunt, yeah. His Aunt Louie, who's been through it all and helps him out, says, yeah, take it. And he won't. He really truly believes he's been able to do this and he'll be able to figure it out without yeah. going there. Yeah. There's a moment in one of the episodes where Franklin sort of like gets out of the business. Yeah. And then there's an episode following that right. where he kind of has this ordeal with his father and he gets back in. Yes. So why did he get out and then why did he get back in? Yeah. I mean, look, it's a drug show. He's the center of it. I think you understand that he eventually is going to be in the drug game for keeps. But yeah. I felt like it was important looking at his character. After everything he goes through with the first four episodes, he needed, in my mind, to be very affected by it. Like, you needed to see it take a toll where he needed to be like, okay, I need to pump the brakes here. Like, I need to stop. I need to take stock of my life and my world and reevaluate why I'm doing this now that I know what the costs are going mm-hmm. to be. He seeks out his father at that point. He has this naive idea, I think, that he's going to go to him and be able to try to identify with a guy who was once involved in a movement and believed in things and lost the thread. And I think he needs that touchstone in this moment. And he goes, and of course, what he finds is his father has been thrown in jail for whatever minor offense. And he goes as far as even to getting him out and sees his father's face and realizes, oh, this was a mistake. I shouldn't have come here. I'm never going to get from this guy what I need. And it was that sense for me of him feeling so powerless and feeling reminded like, boy, if I don't do something drastic, this is how it's going to be for me forever. And that's not enough. And there's no fucking way I'm ending up like that man who's bailing on me again. Like, I'm going to lift people up. I'm going to be better than that. And, you know, we tried to do it in a subtle way, but I was hoping that that's what the audience would feel, that he just decides at the end of that, no, it's worth it. It's worth whatever cost, because whatever happens, I'm not going to be that. I remembered an interesting thing that happens in the scene where Franklin shows up at, I don't know what you'd call them, like it's it's a gang that sells for the cartels cocaine, and so it's like distributors. Yes. Right. right. And he's just like immediately terrified. He just like sees one of them and just is like, ah, and he wants to get out of there. Right. I mean, once he decides to get back into the game, he tries to go about it in a way where he's doing it the smartest way possible. Yeah. And he knows he can't sell it in his neighborhood. They can't afford it. Of course, in a very Franklin way, what he does is get his uncle to take him to a guy who warns him and says, what you don't do is this. And Franklin then thinks, well, I can pull that off. Right. Like, again, he's the guy who's always been able to figure this stuff out. And he goes there to kind of scope it out and to see what this is going to be like. And it's a little naive. Like, maybe he shouldn't have gone there or shouldn't have gone there alone. But I think he thinks if I show up with a bunch of guys, it looks threatening. But if I just show up on my own, maybe I can make some inroads or I can at least see what I'm dealing with. And he pulls up and just parks for a moment. And yeah, he immediately realizes, you know, you get that feeling when you like put your foot in it and you can feel like, oh, this is a mistake. And he pulls up and very quickly to his credit is like, oh, no, 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 no. (laughs) This was not the right play. Like I need to do this in a different way. But before he can literally pull away, like it happens so quickly uh, that he's put in this horrible. He was afraid. 
You know right. what I mean? I think he also doesn't care so much about that. Like, again, yeah. he was the guy who flourished in the white school. The yeah. backstory for us was he was literally the prom king. Yeah. He yeah. really still thinks he can go in. Yeah. And he doesn't bring a gun with him to that yeah. thing. Like, that he can go charm him. And he's like, I don't care that I'm black and you're Mexican. And yeah. I, I actually love that about him. Yeah. Not only in the world of our show, but in the world that we're currently yeah. <laughs> dealing with in this yeah. country, that he doesn't see it that way. It's like, yeah. look, this is a business thing. Like, yeah. why shouldn't I? Yeah. If I have something that can help you and you can help me, why? Would, why would you care that I'm a black guy and you're a Mexican guy? Yeah. And I think that's something he's honestly going to keep running into and is interesting to me in the series and part of what's wonderful about these three different worlds. L.A. is an extremely diverse city. I overheard somebody saying there are more languages spoken every day in Los Angeles than any other city in the wow. world. I don't have data to back that up, yeah. but I think it's very, it's very possible. Yeah. And I think part of the diversity is what makes the city so wonderful and part of what we really wanted to explore yeah. in the series. So through a nuanced viewing of, of this show that certainly comes through, but I'm going to ask sort of a somewhat tough question, so just heads up. Here Please. We go. So, me. you know, the the Mexicans in this show are gang members. The the black people in the show are selling drugs and well, not all of them, but not, a, not all of them. Yeah. yeah. So We don't take it easy on the white guy either. Yeah, that's true. The white, the, everybody's <laughs> fucking up. And look, that's yeah, yeah. part of, look, this is a crime show. This is not yeah. necessarily a comment on so how do you deal with this issue like how do you say like you know we just want to make sure that we're not stereotyping races and things like that and perpetuating things that are going to like lead to people saying stupid things yeah and stuff. i mean yeah. look I, th I think ultimately you have to give the show a chance and let us kind of build it out and try to portray the community and the world around these people as as real and layered and authentic and yeah. part of the challenge of having a show with three storylines is you kind of really have to focus on the plotty dramatic elements ultimately i think you just have to watch the show and trust that we understand that, yeah. that we're not trying to portray this as one dimensional but look i remember when the show was announced and there was a lot of chatter online from people just straight up being like oh great another show about black people selling drugs yeah and that's fair yeah like i don't really know what to say to that like i'm hoping that it's about much more than that i'm hoping we can get into the indictment of the, the way the government handled the war on drugs yeah the prison industrial complex ramping up i mean there are really massive implications for the way the war on drugs ramped up and the crack addiction in the in the hood was handled yeah. that i think are extremely important and need to be talked about yeah and so again i i know we have to kind of come in through this particular lens right now but I'm hoping this thing ends up refracting into a lot of different areas and we can get into those more political important stories that teach us something about how not to deal with yeah. this type of thing. Does the show speak to the current day? I mean, like what's going on with the world right now? I mean, I, I think in the way that we were just talking about the war on drugs and what it did and how it became a war. The war yeah. on crack became a war on black people. That's just the way it was. Like, yeah. white areas were not being decimated. The prison population of white people didn't increase whatever thousand percent. Like, yeah. that's what it became. And it was handled, I, I think, pretty horribly. And so in that regard, we're still dealing with it. Having now kind of spent the time and doing the research and, and being in these environments, talking to people, I, I honestly think we might have been at some sort of tipping point for the black community in the early 80s. At that point, you're 20 years out of like a Jim Crow South. Like you really were starting with this next generation where like if the schools are in good shape and that generation is raised right and they have like a family unit home is looking out for them and they're getting educated, like maybe they're rising up in the world and starting to deal with some of this inequality that we're feeling so drastically now. And instead you had literally the complete opposite yeah. where family units were destroyed. Singleton is fond of saying that crack was the only thing that could take mothers away from their kids. Hmm. 
slavery didn't do that. <laughs> like right. the mother's stories and their kids like crack literally destroyed these families. It put the fathers in jail. It left these kids out on the streets with nobody looking out for them. And like what it did to at least one generation and, and certainly the ripple effect, I think you could argue it set the African-American communities back 50, 100 years, yeah. like at least a generation. And I think that is really important as we deal with the stuff we're dealing with, not only with the frustrations of those communities and how much they feel like the system doesn't give a shit about them. And now you have these leaders in place who really don't, who genuinely don't. And I think if we had any doubt that was the case, that was yeah. confirmed yesterday. Right. When he, you know who doubled down on <laughs> his both sides right. bullshit. We're still talking about many sides stuff. Over yeah. Here, so. uh, when you listen to this weeks from now. Um, yeah. Sorry. And, you know, I know. Yeah. But <laughs> who knows what will happen between now and then. But so. it is important to talk about in the context of the show because yeah. it is a way to kind of get at the yeah. things we're dealing with now. Yeah. And the future of this country depends on us having some knowledge and understanding of what that looked like. So there's this great scene in the show where Franklin... He asks his uncle to introduce him to someone who used to be in the cocaine business and who, like, is out now. Right. The question is, who controls your life? Or just, like, you know, in life, what's the thing that's kind of, like, running you? Yes. Um, and I, just listening to that, I, started, I thought, like, you know, like, good fiction does. I thought, what is the thing controlling my life? You yeah. Know? What's the thing controlling your life? What are you at? FX, my God. <laughs> Slave drivers. Um Wow. You know, honestly, in all the kind of construction and thinking we did about that for the show, I yeah. hadn't thought about that much yeah. with regards to my own life. Yeah. I think with regards to a career and in the professional sense, yeah, when you're in the middle of making a show, like there, there is very little else. I'm lucky right now. I'm not married. I don't have kids. Yeah. I, I have real trouble envisioning how you run a television show as hands-on as I would like to be and like make sure you're giving enough time to your kids and your family. And I yeah. know a lot of people in this country work too hard and at least to run a show you get paid, I feel like accordingly. Yeah. But that really does kind of start to take over and every moment you're thinking about the 10 problems you've got to kind of solve and like yeah. the episode being written and the one that's in post that maybe didn't work the way you'd hoped it would. And like you really are devoting so much energy and brain power to problem solving. But I feel like I'm fairly lucky, I think, thinking globally about the way people have to struggle to survive and yeah. just, like, feed families and find clean water. Like, I have to remind myself that I'm pretty lucky yeah. <laughs> to get to do the thing that I do and have the freedom to kind of express myself and live in a place and work for a network where I can tell the story about what crack did to yeah. the black community and have the freedom to tell that. And not only tell an entertaining story, but be a little political and make a comment on our world and yeah. where we've been. Like. That's a really wonderful thing. I, f I feel pretty free in that way. Well, I'm excited to see the rest of it, and uh, thanks for doing this. Really appreciate it. Oh, it was great to be here, man. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to Showrunners. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on Acast and iTunes and leave us a review. It really helps. 